Welcome to 26 Weeks of Awakening. I am your host, Emily Strunk. This week, we are talking about Nirvana. Nirvana, the end of suffering. Please take a few moments to ground yourself, to slow your mind, to become aware and mindful of everything that is around you, breathing in your space. Focusing on your breath, focusing on your awareness, and just giving yourself this time to contemplate where you are and what's going on with you. Knowing that enlightenment is a pathway and not a destination opens up our mind to the process. Enlightenment is a fluid, ongoing process, and it never ceases throughout our lifetime. Nirvana can be obtained while we exist on this planet, or once we leave here and pass on. If this is so, then Nirvana is not a place but a state of being. By living in this state of being, we no longer suffer and we can lead others on the pathway of enlightenment. Most of us cannot imagine a life where we do not suffer or human existence without suffering. Lack of suffering does not mean hard circumstances do not happen in our lives. It means when difficulties present themselves to us, we are able to be free from attachment. Our ability to not become stuck is the means by which we elude suffering and thus reach nirvana. Attachment and clinging to things cause us to become fixated on our opinions or ways of life. This closed-mindedness leads to suffering. Nirvana is obtained when one can remain in openness, free from fixating, free from desire or pleasure-seeking, free from a pull to control external circumstances. Nirvana is an acceptance of how things are, just as they are, and relaxing into the fluid nature of all creation. I can glimpse nirvana for small moments as I find myself holding tightly and allowing letting go to occur. I sense for a moment the freedom of letting go. Ajahn Chah teaches that this is the gradual process and does not happen with force or plan of direction. He teaches in his talks on formal practice that when we make nirvana our goal, or liberation from suffering, we're on the right path. This is the way. However, our mind is conditioned with the three universal characteristics of all phenomena. Anika, the unstable impermanence. Dukkha, the unsatisfactory nature of being. Anatta, 
our mind and thoughts, our self. These three phenomena the Buddha taught to contemplate always, to, to maintain awareness of their arising in the mind, this anaka, unstable impermanence, dukkha, unsatisfactory nature of being, and anatta, our mind and thoughts, our self. This is the Buddhist teaching of dependent origination. Suffering does not happen instantly, but with a whole chain reaction. Deluded understanding is the cause for willful karmic formations. This is the cause for arising of consciousness, which is then the cause of mentality and materiality. This chain we do not see happening. We only see the ending result of our mood, our suffering, or delightedness. Ajahn Chah associates this with falling out of a tree and hitting branches on the way down. Once we hit the ground, we are aware, and it hurts. But we aren't sure how many branches we hit on the way down. This is true with the arising of pleasure and suffering in our mind. We are aware of the mood, but we aren't really aware of the mind's chain reaction or how many branches it hit on the way down before arriving in that mood. I have a friend whom I have lived with who is plagued with irritability, anger, and constant sadness. She attributes her mood and her feelings to the external forces around her. Someone is loud and obnoxious around her, making her environment miserable. The air conditioning is not working well enough, causing her to be overheated. The food that was served was mushy or bland. These are small moments in her day, linked together with numerous falls from a tree. In constant pain, that's realized when she lands on the ground. It is obvious to me, as one close to her here, that she knows not where her anger or sadness is derived. She sees only the external forces. She blames them as the cause, thus unknowingly ignoring the chain reaction that has occurred internally or how many branches she hit on the way down. Her suffering is great each day. She is consumed by anger, negative words, poor attitudes, lack of gratitude, and devoid of joy. All this is seemed to be caused by circumstances without, rather than delusion that is within. I, too, can become consumed with bad moods and negativity. Here in a federal prison camp, I have total lack of control a lifting of the veil, per se, revealing the reality of no control for all humanity. Here, there is a constant reminder of society's condescending view of me, gained from experiencing prejudicial treatment from staff daily. I am looked down upon, treated slave-like, disciplined for bad behavior I am not responsible for, and did not perpetrate monitored continually as a threat to society, unable to freely converse with family or friends, limited on possessions, excluded from higher knowledge as not privy, and continually demeaned. 
It can be so overwhelming to my conditioned mind until all I want to do is sit and cry. That's my conditioned mind. If I can remember or remind myself as these feelings of frustration arise, they are delusion, they are conditioning, I can let my clinging to control, my clinging to identity, to relationships, and to material pleasures go. As I practice, it becomes easier and easier. All these punishments have less and less a hold on my awakened mind. This has become for me a perfect ashram for practicing this peace. As Pema Chodron has taught me, I begin to acknowledge all the wrongs against me as teachers in my practice, rather than continuing the chain reaction of my conditioned mind, I welcome the teacher, the mistreatment, and I regard my reaction of irritability, anger, or sadness as my old friend. Hello, my old friend, I am taught to say. Hello, my old friend, anger. I will sit with you a while and become accustomed more to what you are like. As I grow more aware of how anger affects me and my conditioned mind, it loosens its hold on me. I start to be able to see the chain reaction before it begins. I see I have no control on daily life and structure here, and I relinquish it. I see I have not had, nor do I have now, control over my relations and I relinquish control and accept them as is. I see my identity, myself, as completely separate from how others may perceive me or how I may have once viewed self or identity. I relinquish it. I am not in control of what is served for meals here or how it is prepared. I let it go. I no longer expect pleasure or satisfaction in any of these things, only in my commitment to my daily practice. Is this change immediate? Absolutely not. Matter of fact, it is a road for a lifetime, potentially, but the pathway is nirvana. My ego sure gets in the way often and wants to be recognized for its talents and deeds. My ego wants to be praised and liked and wants attention. Will, again, another great place for practice. Federal prison camp is not a place for inflating one's ego. The lack of attention and the disintegration of recognized identities cause chaos among those here, especially over a long time. With gratitude, this is a place to practice humility and spiritual awakening. It is a place where when your heart and soul cry for attention, you can welcome your old friends and work with discomfort and disillusionment, unveiling the true nature of what is. Thus the beginnings of Nirvana flash before me. Even in this camp, I am able to see clear moments of letting go of expectation. Mostly, during meditation, 
I can visualize the tightness and I let it go. By seeing myself open up to what is, by allowing myself to be moved by the current of life's river without resistance, I experience relief from suffering. Ah, there's nirvana. The lack of influence I have with my daily surroundings, as well as the lives of my family away from me, reminds me that this is the unveiling of deceit. For I was never really in control and did not wield much influence over life circumstances other than my minute momentary actions. Ajahn Chah defines nirvana as final liberation from all suffering, the goal of Buddhist practice, the liberation of the mind from the mental influence, defilements, and the round of rebirth, and from all that can be described or defined as this term also denotes the extinguishing of a fire. It carries the connotations of stilling, cooling, and peace. Total nirvana, in some contexts, denotes the experience of awakening. In others, the final passing away of a worthy one, a nirahant. For me, my understanding has developed thus far to understand this to mean I will experience nirvana each time I am able to let go of an attachment and relieve the suffering this clinging causes me. This brief experience or glimpse of nirvana will slowly over time be connected with other glimpses as I lean more and more to see the arising of clinging which leads to suffering, and I can let go. Eventually, I enter into one continuous moment of nirvana, the end of all suffering, the end of all karmic actions, the end of rebirth. Can you identify an area or item that you are attached to or feel you really need in your daily living? Why do you need it? This can be a material possession, a routine, or part of your daily schedule, a relationship or identity, or even a job-related title. How would you feel if this was taken away from you? Express this to yourself in as much detail and as in-depth as possible what those feelings may feel like if this thing was ripped away. Now close your eyes and imagine yourself letting go of that one thing while you calmly breathe. See yourself peacefully sitting without that thing, that attachment. Are you okay? What do you experience?
This is the exercise of letting go of attachment and momentarily allowing yourself to feel the release of the burden associated with that clinging. Continue doing this as you find yourself holding tightly to expectations, holding tightly to routines, find yourself needing and leaning on material comforts, identities, what people think of you, achievements, images, and relationships. Contemplate yourself, letting go of each one and what that feels like, how you would survive, what would life look like, and breathe. Thank you for attending week eight on Nirvana. This is 26 weeks of awakening. Continue in your meditation practice. Remember that I encourage practicing meditation at least once a day, hopefully twice, for at least five minutes in the morning and five minutes in the evening. And as you grow in your practice, increase your time. Where after you've been meditating for about six months, you should be between 15 and 20 minutes of meditation. Join us next time for week nine, where we will be discussing karma. Namaste.